We pre present to you Mr. Eric Dupree. Uh, he used to be a, a member of our church here, so let's uh, uh, hope uh, Eric's got a good uh, word for us this morning. All right, good morning, everybody. It is great to be in the house, Lord, although I know a lot of people ask me, where are my kids? <laughs> they are, they're not here with us this morning. Uh, I'll explain to you a little bit reasons why they're not here this morning, but it is uh, great to be here this morning. For those who do not know me, my name is Pastor Eric Dupree. Uh, I was uh, a member here. They asked me, how, how have I been here? It's been a long time since I've been here, uh, about uh, 16 years or so, uh, 17 years, 15, 16, 17 years, somewhere around there uh, when we were here. Uh, my wife and I got married right here in this church uh, 16 years ago. Uh, this past May. So uh, I do call this my home church. Uh, it's uh, where I recommitted my life to Christ. I was baptized here uh, in this church uh, almost 20 years ago, uh, this time of year. And it's just great to be back here. Uh, great to have this opportunity to preach this message this morning. Uh, for those who do not know, I was pastor of Creve Corps Southern Baptist Church for the last 10 years. Uh, we were a, a small church, and I say we were uh, because this past uh, April uh, we made a decision to uh, assimilate and join up with the Journey Church in East Peoria. Uh, our numbers were, were small. Uh, we, we were not reaching the community like we should have been. Uh, in, in lack of better terms, we were a dead church. But we didn't want to just fade out to non-existence. Because we know that God's got a plan. We got, God's got a plan for East Peoria and Creve Corps. And God can do great things. But we had to make a bold decision and a drastic decision. Say, you know, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about where God is moving. And so I made that decision. I, I led the church to pretty much tell me to fire me. That's what I did. I said, I don't have, it's not about me. It's not about my job. About making a better impact. So April 30th, Creve Corps on the Baptist Church closed its doors for the final time. May, that first weekend, May, was our first Sunday at the Journey Church. And I'm now the teaching pastor, uh, serving with uh, Pastor Brock Winkler, uh, serving in a mighty way, much differently and drastically than I thought it would be, much different and drastically than it was at Creve Corps on the Baptist Church. Uh, music styles are different, the church buildings are different, uh, and the numbers are different. It's refreshing and exciting. But we couldn't be there if we didn't make the bold decision. Through this process, they don't teach you how to preach a message closing a church. They, they don't teach you that in seminary. So you have to try to figure out what is it that I'm supposed to do and and so beginning of January, as God was laying on my heart, as we were battling these decisions and, and this, uh, direction where God wants us to go, God laid on my heart to go through the Gospel of Mark. Oh, boy, I'm so glad he did. Because every time I've been reading the Gospel of Mark, God has just been pressing on me and pressing on me on the urgency we have. And the power of the Gospel. There's one word. If you want to take a seminary class and you take the Gospel of Mark, they're going to tell you there's one key word in the Gospel of Mark. And that's immediately. 
If you go out through the Gospel of Mark, you're going to, Gospel of Mark, you're going to look and see that word plastered all throughout, repeatedly, repeatedly, saying immediately. Immediately he called the disciples and immediately they followed them. As we read this morning, she touched his cloak and immediately the hemorrhage stopped. There's an urgency and immediacy of the Gospel of Christ. There's the urgency of which we need to follow and the immediacy in which Christ responds. And that's just not it. Every time I've been studying the Gospel of Mark, and, and maybe there's a renewness that God has laid on my heart, I've been pressured and, and asking myself, every time I've been reading the Scripture, why? Not why there's Scripture, but why is that there? Why are those words stated that way? Why is those circumstances? And, and we're going to uncover a little bit more about that. Why are these things Occurrences. And I want to challenge you this morning to ask the question, why? So many times, and there have been studies that have been done, that people won't ask why. Or they won't even, they'll just go along with the crowd. They don't assume anything. They, they will even change their own mind, not to question what the crowd says, but they don't want to be pushing against the crowd, going against the current, and they just want to go with the flow. Anybody else just want to go with the flow? I, I'm the kind of guy who likes to go with the flow. I, matter of fact, even more so, I don't even want to be around the big crowds. This morning we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. We're picking up in a time in the story uh, where Christ's ministry is really starting to ramp up. And what you will see, find out, is that now more and more crowds are starting to gather around him. Mark chapter 4 talks about how he was preaching to them in parables. And when evening came, the crowd was such a way that he wanted to set off and go off to the side and, and go across the other side of the sea. So when evening comes, they get into the side and, and Jesus in, went in with them just as he was. And this is what the amazing thing happens. They cross the sea. And these men, these fishermen, those who are normally accustomed to being on the water, were scared because of the storm that came up. In their panic, in their desire, they cry out to God. Cry out to Christ. Don't you care that we are dying? Think about that statement. Don't you care that we are dying? Jesus cared. He stands up after being woken up from his sleep and says, Hush, be still. That's a powerful message. But that's just the beginning of where we're at. He gets to the other side of the, of the sea. And as soon as he lands, and as soon as they get out of the boat, there wasn't a walking committee, there wasn't people saying, Welcome. No, instead there is a demoniac from the tombs that came out and says, what do you have to do with me? And there is this man who is possessed by a legion of demons needing help from Christ. And in their conversations, the demons ask to be put into the swine. And so they do. Jesus grants them permission to go into the swine and the swine go down the hill and destroy 
and, and be drowned. And, and they're drowned. And, and they kill the flock. The flock of swine is dead. And, and I put it in, the, in, in this perspective. The people lost their bacon. I don't know about you, but I like my bacon. And you get upset when you lose your bacon. And they were upset that they lost their bacon. They asked Jesus, even though he had the power to cast out a legion, five to six thousand demons were cast out of this man, even though they didn't want anything to do with him and they put him in the tombs. Jesus loved on him enough, cared for him enough that he healed him from the demons. As a way to say thank you, the people said, get out. We don't want anything to do with you. Mark chapter 5 verse 17 says, they had implored him, they began to implore him to leave the region. So Jesus gets in the boat again and goes back across the, the sea. Goes across the sea reality again. And when he gets there, as we're going to read in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, a large crowd gathers. Very interesting. I mentioned to you that I don't like large crowds. And, and you have to make decisions when crowds get there. Jesus, at this time in his ministry, is gathering large crowds. If you've ever seen this happen, it's quite amazing how large crowds gather. My wife and I have been to, and our family has been to New York City a couple times. Anybody been to New York City? It is intense. It is intense. There, there are street performers that, that, that like to gather crowds. And, and these guys are dancers. They're jumping over people. But they gather large crowds and people just surround them. And people are standing on park benches, standing on shoulders just to see what's going on. Then there's even bigger crowds around Times Square. We were just there a couple weeks ago, and there were so many people there that you were just trying to squeeze. I grabbed both kids by their hands, and we're trying to squeeze in just across the street. It is just so intense, so big. And you ask yourself, and we made our decision, we're not going back to Times Square because it is just way too busy. It's just too crowded. This morning, as we read Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34, we've got five decisions we need to make. Not only are they just any kind of decisions, but these are going to be bold, difficult decisions that we need to make in our life and in the ministry of our churches. We've got to make these decisions when we're distracted by the crowd. What I was drawn to in this passage in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, is the indication that there's a crowd. That there's a crowd pressing in around, there's a crowd gathering. Yet even despite the multitude of people, Christ is going to make it personal. Before we go any further, I ask you to join me in prayer as we prepare to read His Word this morning. Can you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning for drawing us to this place. You have prepared us in many ways, some during the time of worship, some even a week before, days before, or weeks before coming here this morning to hear from your voice. Father, it is my prayer this morning 
that your voice is heard. That these aren't my words, but that they're your words. Father, as we study your word this morning, I pray that we don't harden our hearts. Dead Lord, we open up to you. Allow you to transform us. Change us. Help us make these bold decisions. Father, I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to join with me in chapter Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Version. You follow along with whatever translation you have in your hands this morning. But Mark chapter 5, verse 21 reads these words. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Verse 25, though, says, A woman who had a, had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up from behind and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. May you be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. May you be challenged this morning to make the bold decisions. We have to make bold decisions when we're distracted by the crowd. We look at verse 21 and it gives us the indication, it starts painting the picture that when Jesus again crossed over on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. Verse 22 then begins that saying, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet. What is the decisions we have to make when we can be distracted by this crowd? Our first decision is that we have to step out from the crowd. Step out from the crowd. In other words, quit blending in. 
quit going with the flow. Quit trying to just be with the flock, but make that bold decision to step out. I find this very interesting. This was my first question that I asked when I was reading this passage. Why did Christ stay by the seashore? Why does it say in verse 21, when Jesus crossed again on the overside, again in the boat on to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the shore. Why? Was that his destination? Was, was him whole desire was just to stay by the shore? Now again, I start wrestling and, and start arguing in my mind to say, here are some possibilities. One could argue that the crowd was so large that as soon as he came to the boat, that they flocked to him, flocked to his boat, that there had been nowhere for him to go. That he would maybe just, as he's done in the past, as you look back in earlier in chapter 4, that he was deliberately sitting in the boat so he can preach to the crowd. Maybe that was his desire. But through this passage, in the beginning part of verse 22, I think there's a, another decision. Was it intentional or was it forced? Was he forced to stay by the shore? I don't think so. I think it was intentional. He's asking you to step out. Who's going to come? Who's going to come? So verse 22, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up. And on seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. I think about Jairus now. I think about that moment. He knows what he wants to do. But he's got to have the courage to step out. If I'm like Jairus, if, if Jairus is like me, I should say, and I see a large crowd there so many times when I say, you know what? I'll do it some other time. Matter of fact, it reminds me of the time in which I rededicated my life to Christ here at this church. It was a summer day. I was working with my cousin cleaning carpets, and that time we were cleaning carpets in a bar on Sunday morning. And after the time was done, and we got done early enough in the morning that they were coming home, and it's about time for church, but I was in work clothes. I was in cut-up jeans and an old shirt. And I thought to myself, no, you know what? I, I better not go to church today because I'm not dressed right. I don't look right. Everybody's going to see me. They're going to say, well, and they're going to be judgmental. Because that's what we think about. At least that's what those who are worried about it think about. So I keep driving home and thinking, boy, God's still pressing on me. Say, man, you've got to go to church. You've got to get there and, and hear the message. I keep saying, no, it's not right. Not now, not time. So I drive down School Street so I can get home. Can I tell you something? Don't ever go against the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> he pressed on me even harder. He says, you've got to go. So take that left on that first street after School Street. Make the round to turn back and, and go to Christ, even though I wasn't dressed right. Even though people may stare and look. And I take that moment that point of time when I was 19 years old 
as a starting point of where I am today. But you've got to take that moment. You've got to be bold enough. Now I think about Jairus. And he knows about the circumstances. He knows the pain that his daughter's in. He knows that he might lose her. How many of you would do something for your child no matter what? Let me ask that question again. How many of you would do anything you can for your child? You will. You'll do whatever you can. And even if it means stepping out from the crowd, but it does not mean it's not going to be easy. Because everybody's going to look at you. Not only that, but he's a synagogue official. He's the guy who's supposed to be close to God. He's the one who's got the inside connection. He's the religious of the people. So therefore, he's now got even more eyes on him. When you decide to go and step out, you're going to make yourself visible. People are going to notice just by default. And then by doing so, you make yourself vulnerable. Maybe that's where Christ wants us to be. To quit hiding behind the crowd. Quit hiding behind our masks. Quit hiding behind our pews and make us vulnerable. To lay it all out on the line and say, here I am. This is me. Nobody else there to follow behind. Nobody else there. But you're stepping in front. So many times I wonder during this time of invitation that we have on Sunday mornings, how many of us are afraid to step out? And we hang on to that pew with our white knuckles turning white. So afraid to step out and follow Christ. I'm telling you. If you want to be where Christ is at. Sometimes you got to be bold. And make that bold decision. And step out from the crowd. But it doesn't stop there. That's, not, that's only one decision we've got to make. Our second decision, you look in verses 22 and 23. As a synagogue official named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she will get well and live. Not only do we have to step out of the crowd, we've got to make the bold decision to step into the presence of Christ. So the second decision we got to make is step into the presence of Christ. That's what the synagogue official does. When you step into His presence, there's two things that happen. There's two things you acknowledge. First, you acknowledge His position. You see what the synagogue official does? The first thing he does What's also must take note is the first thing that the demoniac does too. So whether you're demon possessed or a deacon, you worship Christ. You know his position. 
because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and everyone knows it. He comes before Christ and falls at his feet as an act of worship. And he implores him. This word implore, I want you to understand it, it was referenced a lot at the beginning part of Mark chapter 5. But as I study his word and I see the word implore, I say it's a passionate plea. He's begging. He's crying out with such emotion. So when you step into his presence, you know his position and you plead to him because you know his power. Look at what this passionate plea is. Verse 23. He poured him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she will get well and live. You come to Christ because your hurt is real. Could you imagine what that man is going through? He's thinking his daughter is going to die. The hurt was real. He didn't want to lose his daughter. He wanted to do everything he could to save her. The hurt was real. The concern was real. I need you, Christ, to come here. You are the one that can save her. Not only was his hurt real, his concern is real, but his faith was real. If you come, please come, so that she will get well and live. Where do you live? Do you live in the wills or do you live in the mites? So many of us as Christians say, God, if you have mercy and, and if you are able to, can you, might you be able to, or will you? Because I know you can. There's a difference. He's not hoping. He's asking. He's not wishing. He's pleading for him to intervene. It's a passionate plea. Because the hurt is real. The concern is real. The faith is real. You have that same kind of faith in Christ. That He can heal you. That He can change your circumstance right now. But as we come up in verse 24, there's another decision we have to make. Verse 24 says, And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Here's what we have to look in verse 24. It says, We have to make a decision and leave the crowd behind. This is hard things to do as pastors. Because there's things I struggled with as a pastor. Do I concern myself with the individual need or with the greater need of the crowd, the church. You know what Christ did? Even though there was a large crowd gathered, He heard the need of the individual, and He says, let's go. Let's leave this crowd 
behind. Why? Again, I ask these questions. Why? Why would he leave the crowd behind? You think to yourself, there's a greater opportunity for ministry there. There's much more people there. There's much more. There's, I'm sorry, I went to school sometime. There's many. There's more people there. I'll say it eventually. There's more people. There are more opportunities to minister, yet he leaves them behind. Why? Because our Christ is a personal Savior. Because it's personal. Time and time again in Christ's ministry, we see examples showing that ministry is best practice when the church is meeting individual needs despite demands of the crowd. Church, it will be very tempting to seek the pleasing the crowd of the world to see what we can do to make church better, to help us grow, to help us be sustainable. I'm seeing here in Scripture that the way we impact lives in the community is not necessarily pleasing the crowd, but it is meeting the individual needs. I was explained to this during our seminary graduation when the speaker challenged us to be more like waffles and less like pancakes. Here's what it means. By pancake ministry, here's what you do. is You pour the syrup on and you let it cover the entire thing and it just kind of goes over everything. But waffle ministry, it's more individual. You've got to get syrup in each individual crevice and nook and crane. Church, if we want to reach the needs of this community, we can't try to please the entire crowd. Can I tell you something? You can't do it. You can't please the entire crowd. But what you can do is you can meet individual needs. And by meeting individual needs, you reach the crowd. They see what happens. Why do we leave the crowd behind? Because first, it's personal. Church, it's time to make ministry personal again. Second, because it's important. Christ knew the importance of going after Him. A couple years ago, on our first trip to New York, we went to the Statue of Liberty. And we thought, well, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now would be a good time to eat some lunch. Well, apparently so did everybody else on Liberty Island. Because it was just packed full of people. And the way it goes, they, they have this, the, the row of, of drinks and coolers on the side, then you kind of weave your round and and get up to the counter and you pick out what you meal. Well, in that uh, chaos of people, we keep going and then we tell them, hey, what do you guys want to drink? Nathan is seven at the time. He knew what he wanted to drink and it was way back there and he took off. I've never been scared in my entire life. There's been two times I've been, been scared. One time was when I was crushed by a vein. The second time was when my son took off in the middle of Statue of Liberty and I couldn't find him. Where was he? 
Now, I'll tell you, if it was somebody I didn't know, if it was just a colleague, if it was somebody else uh, my age, I'd probably just go through the line and let it go. But he was much more important than just somebody else. He's my son. And I've got to go get him. And I think there's no difference right here. This was important to Christ. We've seen time and time again where he can make them well just by his word. Not even being in the same room. Maybe not even being in the same city because Christ's power can do that. But he knew how important it was. So he followed him and he left the crowd behind. I want you to know this morning that Christ goes with you. And I want you to know this morning that you are not facing whatever trial you are facing. You're not doing it alone. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, He says, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you. You're not doing this alone, even though it feels like the crowd is, is left you, even though you may feel like your family has left you, maybe your spouse has left you, maybe your parents have left you, you're thinking, I'm all alone. I'm telling you this morning, you are not alone. Christ goes with you because He's personal. And you are important to Him. We see something happen in verse 25. Verses 25 through 29 is a moment in which the crowd presses in on him. And Jairus, thinking you finally got the ear of the teacher, ear of the, of the healer. Now they are distracted once again. So what do we do when we're distracted by the crowd? A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much of the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about this, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. We can think about this moment of time again of how personal Christ is. That they could have done everything they could to keep you know, him focused and going to meeting Jairus. And we can think about this moment of time which he can minister to her. But I want to think of how bold she had to make. The bold decision that she made to change her past and that's the fourth decision we have to make this morning as we have to make a bold decision to change our past we're no longer going to be defined by what we've been but we are going to be defined by what we can become she was suffering for a hemorrhage for the past 12 years it indicates in scripture that she spent everything she had to the doctors and you've heard these stories in modern day medicine that even though she spent all that she had, not only was she not getting better, but she got worse. We have to make a decision to change our past because what we've been doing hasn't worked. 
what we are experiencing is getting worse. That's the decision we had to make at Creve Course and the Baptist Church. We had to do something drastic. It wasn't going to be an easy decision. And a matter of fact, it's a decision in which once it was made, I lost very good relationships with. And it hurt. But it was necessary if we wanted to change our past. Because it hasn't been working. We've been getting work worse. But here's the amazing thing. Look what it says in verse 28. You may need to underline, highlight, whatever. But this is what she thought. If I just touch his garments, I can get well. You make a decision to change your past because what you've been doing hasn't worked because what you are experiencing is getting worse and most importantly because you believe in the power of Christ. It's a belief without seeing. She hasn't experienced, she wasn't there when he healed the demoniac. He doesn't, she doesn't know what's going to happen to the child of the synagogue official. But she says, if I can just touch his cloak, he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't, I don't even have to touch his hand. If I can just touch his cloak. You're believing without seeing, and you're believing in just a small amount of Christ. Oh, church, what can happen if we can just get that small glimpse, a mere glance of Christ instilled into our churches today? I'll tell you, our world will be drastically different because that is the power of Christ. Just by the mere glance, by just a mere minuscule amount of Christ. Here is what happens after hearing about Jesus. She came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For if I just touch his garments... I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her blood, in her body, that her affliction was healed. She believed in the immediacy of her healing. Some of you have been struggling with pain and sin for years. You don't know how you can overcome that addiction. Overcome that hatred. You tried everything that you could do for years. And you just can't beat it. Church, I'm asking. I'm pleading with you. Now is the time to seek Christ. Don't wait a minute longer. What you've been seeking for years, Christ can heal in a moment.
what you've been hoping for for years, Christ can restore in a moment. That's the power of Christ I believe in. That's the power of Christ I see here. You've got to make a bold decision to step out of the crowd. You have to make a bold decision to step into the presence of the Savior. You have to make a bold decision to leave the crowd behind. You have to make a bold decision to change your past. And finally, church, as we finish up in verses 30 and 34, you have to make a bold decision to find peace. Verse 30 says these words. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you ask, Who touched you? Verse 32, And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your afflictions. There's so many of us in the world today who are living in chaos. who are living in guilt, who are living in pain because of their relationship with Christ. You are struggling to sleep at night. You're struggling because of the pressures of the world around you and the sin and the chaos and the guilt to find peace. Christ knows your pain. Christ knows your chaos. Christ wants to give you peace. Are you going to reach out Find the peace that you're so earnestly looking for. Or are you going to stay in the crowd? As our musicians come forward, we have a time of invitation. I don't know where you're at in your personal life. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. You could have said, Pastor, that was a good story. I I don't know. You could have fell asleep. I've had it done that before. I, I understand it. I get it. But there's somebody in here, maybe this morning, that says, I don't want to get in front of everybody. But you are struggling. You are hurting. You have sin that is pressing in around you like the crowds in New York City, and you're trying to cry out for help. Here's the moment. Here's the opportunity to say, God, here I am. So as the musicians come forward, we're going to have a time of worship. I understand time of invitation. we got a song here this morning. If you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, I'll be glad to come up before you and share with you and share with you on how you can accept Jesus Christ as personal Lord Savior and change your past. Find peace in your life.
that means you're going to have to step out of the crowd. It's not going to be easy. But I stand here as living proof. It's worth it.